I came across this article by Terry Shea, written in AOL Autos a few years ago. In this article, Terry writes to attempt to dispel the mystery of what we would see as the inaccurate auto gas gauge. Have you ever noticed, especially those of you who are driving, that your gas gauge often stays on F. The needle of the gas gauge stays on F for full for quite a long time after you filled up your tank. And when the needle starts to move, it moves faster and faster as it approaches empty, E for empty. And then when it gets to E, it sort of stays there for a while until the low warning light comes on telling you you have about a gallon of gas left. It turns out that it's partially our fault as consumers that the gas gauge works that way. You see, the engineers calibrate them to do as such. Why? Because you and I as customers have told them that's the way we like it. Terry speaks with Phil Ferron, an engineer for Ford. His title is actually Technical Expert for Systems Engineering in Core Fuel Solute Systems. Basically, the guy who runs the gas gauge. He tells us that our customers, Ford says, don't really want to run out of fuel when they hit E. Customers want a little bit of fuel. They don't want to be in the road and it has E and the car simply stops. Pearson understands the procrastination that we, especially men, like to have when it comes to the gas gauge. Let's get every drop of gas before we have to fill it up next. Apparently, customer surveys also indicate that people don't like seeing the needles depart from full or F right away. According to Ferron, customers want it to stay on full for a certain amount of time. This gives them the illusion that they're getting better fuel mileage, or at least not immediately burning through that expensive tank of gas they just literally filled up with. And while customers want there to be a reserve of gasoline available when they reach the empty mark, they don't want too much in reserve. Otherwise, they will complain that their 20-gallon tank only takes 15 gallons when filling up from empty. Apparently, according to the gas gauge engineers, there's a sweet spot where customers are happy to be fooled by their gas gauges. Imagine that. But not fooled too much. We certainly are a fickle bunch. The engineer's job should be to make things as accurate as possible, as efficient as possible. But in this case, the engineer has to also be the psychologist to keep the customers happy. What could be more straightforward than a gas gauge? You would think that people would be thrilled to have one that simply provided them with the most accurate of information. If it is E for empty, then there is no more gas. If it is not F for full, then it is not full. But not so in the culture of having it our way. Feelings play a big part in it. That often is how we relate to the Christian life. We have tailored our life just the way we want it. A sweet spot, a happy balance where we can be true to our Christian convictions, but also to be successful and well-liked. We want to be the good guys and also win. 
It's a happy balance we think we can achieve. But frankly, in our desire to be successful and well-liked, we have to soften, even compromise our convictions. This is not a balance we can win. The Bible is very clear. You cannot serve two masters. As we continue this morning, our series entitled No Filter, Consequences of Authentic Living, we will take away the filter to see life as it really is. And this morning, we want to take away the filter to look at the consequences of having and holding on to your convictions. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me this morning to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 38, as we expound verses 1 to 23. If you're new to the Bible, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 to 23, as we continue our study in the life of Joseph. If you miss the first part of this series last week, I encourage you strongly to go listen to it on our website. It is the foundational message that will help you through understanding the rest of this series. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 reads this. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. When last we left Joseph last week, he had been sold into slavery by his brothers to some Midianite traders. This caravan of traders had now made its way to Egypt. And there Joseph was bought by Potiphar, captain of the Egyptian pharaoh's guards. He is a slave. And look what happens to this slave. Verse 2 and verse 3. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. I'd like you to go to verse 2 and circle the word successful. If you'd like to mark in your Bible or highlight it, do that. The word successful. And then from that circled word, would you draw an arrow to the first phrase that begins this verse? The Lord was with Joseph and then he was successful. This is in the scriptures what we call cause and effect. The cause, the Lord was with Joseph. The effect, he was successful. Joseph was not simply a common slave. Verse 2 tells us he served inside the very house of Potiphar. Not in the fields as a new slave would serve. Someone who quickly rose in the rank of the slave system in Potiphar's house. One who was well trusted and brought into the very home. Potiphar saw that Joseph had the Lord's blessings. I don't believe Potiphar knew the living God, Yahweh. But he could see in Joseph someone very different. Someone who was anointed. Someone who was very special. If you read verses 2 and 3, there's no indication why Joseph should have been shown such grace and mercy. It's not because God said, Joseph, because you have endured the injustice of your brothers, I will make you 
the head slave in Potiphar's house. Understand this well, my friends. God did not owe Joseph anything. And he does not owe you anything as well. The only reason that God made Joseph successful was that God's grace and mercy was poured out upon him. God, by his own volition, by his own choice, desired to bless Joseph. God did not owe Joseph a thing. And there was nothing Joseph could do to earn God's blessing. It was by the grace of God that he is successful. My friends, don't you ever forget that your success and my success is all because of God's grace. Yes, you have worked hard, but not all hardworking people are successful. Yes, you may have studied hard. You may have stayed up night after night studying, cramming, but not all who have studied hard like yourself have been given the great opportunities in life. The good things of our life come from God. He gives and he takes away at his own good pleasure. And this truth should elicit in you an eternally thankful heart. James chapter 1 verse 17 reminds us every good and perfect gift is from above. Joseph was successful. It was because of the grace of God. If there is any reason that Joseph would not want to rock the boat, it is because he is now successful. Why would you do anything other than what you've always been doing to lead you to where you are? For a slave, he has reached the pinnacle of success. He has reached the top. I know he's still a slave. But in his lifetime, he could have never imagined just how high he would have gotten so quickly. He was at the pinnacle of success. But success is one of two major reasons why often we do not stand firm in our convictions. Success. It is both a blessing, but it is also a curse. We often think that somehow our success will put into jeopardy our standing if we hold firm to our convictions. The more successful we are generally, the higher we get to the top, the more scared we are to share and display our faith in Jesus Christ. We are so worried that our careers will be in jeopardy when people would see us praying, when we would refuse to do something unethical, that somehow our career promotion track would be stunted. That's why I admire people who are still at the top of their game, they're at the pinnacle of success, and yet hold on to their convictions. You may not know these names, but they are familiar in America. People like Steve Green, the CEO of Hobby Lobby, or like Don Cathy, CEO of Chick-fil-A, who stand for biblical convictions of marriage and relationships, regardless of what Wall Street thinks about them. There are these type of peoples even here locally, I think of someone like Andrew Lewson of Cityland. I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a very prominent but not believing architect. There, as I sat down with him, he was explaining to me 
about the environment that was the construction world and the architecture world and the building world of the Philippines. He told me all the companies that would take kickbacks first before they award a contract to an architect. And if I told you the list he gave me, it's pretty much every prominent company and builder here in the Philippines. Then I asked about Cityland, not telling him I knew the CEO personally. And here was his reply to me. Oh, I don't deal with Cityland. Everyone in the industry knows you can't buy your way into that company. Isn't it a great testimony? What's being said about you? As you progress in the success of your careers, what is being said about you? Verse 4 to verse 6. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And Potiphar made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that Potiphar had made Joseph overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. In verse 4, I'd like you to circle another word. Favor. Found favor. In the eyes of Potiphar, Joseph was someone special. Potiphar really liked him. Not only was Joseph successful... He was well-liked. Some people are successful, but not well-liked. Others are well-liked, but not successful. Imagine having these two things going for you. You have made it in life to be successful and well-liked. But I want you to see that undergirds these verses is the fact that God's hand of favor and blessing was upon Joseph. God allowed him to be well-liked. When we talked about the fact last week that life is not fair, I commented that life is not fair because you cannot control other people's perception about you. You can't control what others think about you. But what I didn't mention is that God can certainly soften the hearts of others and change their perspective about you. God blessed Joseph, the cause, the effect. He allowed Potiphar's heart to favor that of Joseph. And because of that, God blessed both Joseph and even the house of Potiphar, verse 5, both in the house and in his fields. Potiphar fully trusted Joseph, who basically ran his household. He knew nothing about what was going on in the house, nor did he need to know. Well, it's good that, to be well-liked. But the problem of being well-liked and having so many friends is that we begin to guard our reputations. And that's the second major reason why we don't take a stand of conviction. We are too well-liked. We won't do anything that would jeopardize our likability. 
You know, if no one likes us, I have no problems standing up for Jesus Christ. Why? I can't get any lower. No one likes me. I have no friends. But if I'm so well-liked, then I'm going to be afraid to say something that will cause people not to like me, to think ill of me. That's the truth. I don't know if you know a man by the name of Athanasius of old. Athanasius lived in the second century. He was the bishop or the pastor at Alexandria. He was a scholarly man, an academe, held firmly to the scriptures, the veracity of the word of God. But he was a boring man. He didn't speak well, as history seems to tell us. He was so academic that when people heard his sermons, they fell asleep. He was not very well liked. That is Athanasius. One of his contemporaries is a man by the name of Arius. Arius was the complete opposite of Athanasius. Arius was uh, probably a natural extrovert, charismatic, personable, lively, eloquent. People enjoyed his preaching. They flocked to him. He had a magnetic personality. But Arius was a heretic. He did not believe in the eternal Son of God. He did not believe that Jesus was divine. He believed that Jesus was a subordinate being. He did not hold to the Trinity. But people listened to him because he had such a magnetic personality. He was so popular, but he was wrong. And Athanasius stood up against Arius. He opposed him. It caused quite a stir that the then emperor Theodosius summoned Athanasius. And he said to Athanasius, please stop opposing Arius. Do you not know how well liked he is? And Theodosius reproved him and asked Athanasius, Do you not realize that all the world is against you? Athanasius quickly answered, Then I am against all the world. Isn't that great? Athanasius was told, The whole world doesn't like you. It's against you. But Athanasius held to his conviction, fine, then the whole world doesn't like me. My friends, do you care more about your reputation than the reputation of God? Are you willing to sacrifice what people think of you to care about what God thinks about you? Being well-liked is a blessing, but it also comes with it a pitfall the pitfall of compromising your convictions. I like the last part of verse 6. In the inspired word of God, we are told Joseph was a handsome man. He was handsome in form and in appearance. Joseph didn't simply had a good face. He had a good body. That's in the Bible. Can you imagine someone so good-looking in an Egyptian culture known for prizing and treasuring good looks. 
I mean, this is the culture that probably invented mascara. Uh, if you see the Egyptian hieroglyphics, they all have black circles around their eyes. That's not scientifically proven. But you know this culture if you know it through history. They prize people like Cleopatra. They prize beauty. And this culture saw in Joseph a fine-looking young man. Well, Joseph had it all. Good-looking, successful, likable. Now comes the test. If you were successful, likable, and good-looking, would you risk it all? for your godly convictions? Would you risk success and friends to stand firm for truth? And I've had to ask myself that question this week. And if you're honest with yourself, as I had to be honest with myself, it is a very difficult choice to make. It is very difficult to choose friends and success over that of standing for our convictions. Why is it so hard to stand up for what we believe? It's because we look in this life to the filter of success and wanting many friends and wanting them to like us that we don't like the consequences associated with convictions. And so we try to step on both worlds and we fall through the middle. Joseph would now be put to the test for that which he valued the most. Look at verse 7 to verse 10. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. In the Hebrew, the emphasis and is this. And Potiphar's wife had the hots for Joseph, my translation. She was the cougar before cougars was in vogue. If you don't understand what I just said, you don't need to ask others. She said to Joseph, we also used to think that women back then were so conservative. She was the aggressor. Sleep with me. But Joseph refused, verse 8, and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know all what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. Stop here. Joseph has basically told Potiphar's wife, if I succumb to your temptation, no one will ever know. I have within my power the right to clear out a room, to get rid of all of the prying eyes, and we could sleep together and no one would ever find out. Praise God, he continued on. Verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Joseph 
avoided Potiphar's wife. I once was teaching the story to some Sunday school kids many years back. And I asked the students, do you know why Joseph did not sleep with Potiphar's wife? I remember this to this day. One kid raised his hands. I know, teacher. I said, what? Because she was ugly. (laughs) It doesn't matter what she looked like. It doesn't matter whether she's ugly or beautiful. Because if that was in the Bible, I'm sure we would have made some exegetical jump ropes to justify why we can have an affair. But she was so beautiful. I have no doubt in my own mind that Potiphar's wife was very beautiful. This is a culture that prided itself in beauty. And for the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, he must have had a stunningly beautiful wife. How does Joseph hold off from falling into temptation after day after day of enticing, pleading, seduction? because he values the things of God more than he values anything else. And that, my friends, is the key to maintaining our convictions. It's a matter of value and what we prioritize. Notice in verse 9, Joseph should have said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar, who's been so good to me and promoted me and given me success? But Joseph says, no, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph realizes that he answers to a higher authority. He could have gotten away with this illicit affair. But Joseph tells Potiphar's wife, I can't, I will not. Because my character, my integrity, my conviction is not for sale. It belongs to God. I love the answer of a young man interviewing for a job. The store owner asked this young man a question. Young man, if I hire you to work in my store, will you be honest and truthful? The young man answered, Sir, I will be honest and truthful whether you hire me or not. Isn't that great? Our convictions is not based on circumstances. Our character is not based on the situation. We either are or are not. The choice for you is between holding firm to your godly convictions or succumbing to the temptations of this world. It is a matter of choice and of priority in your life and in my life. Do we seek to please God more than we desire to please ourselves? For Joseph, his answer was an absolute. How can I sin against God? And so he had no problems risking success and likability. You know, in life, my friends, we make it harder than it is. We put so many what-ifs to the situations of our temptations that God is probably shaking his head and saying, this is not for debate. 
You don't have to even fight it in, out in your mind. This is an absolute. Wrong is wrong even if everyone is doing it. Right is right even when no one is doing it. You get that? Wrong is wrong even if everyone is doing it. Right is right even if no one is doing it. You see, it's not about playing a game where if you get caught, then you're sorry. It's not even bothering to play the game at all. We make it a lot harder than it is because we have taken what is black and white and we've made it gray. Joseph takes a stand. Look what happens to him. Verse 11 and 12. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. The Potiphar's wife caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran away. She accosted him when the timing was right. But no one was there. And Joseph, not even entertaining a second thought, he runs away. He flees. My friends, when it comes to sexual temptations, especially men, run, flee. You will lose that battle of temptation. In all other sins, the Bible says, stand firm against the wily darts of Satan. But when it comes to sexual sins, the Bible tells us, flee, run away, far away, turn off the TV, burn that magazine, turn off that computer, flee. In verse 13 to 18, we don't have time to read it. Joseph runs away and Potiphar's wife shouts out that Joseph has attacked her, tries to take advantage of her, and in the process of her screaming, he is left in a hurry and left his garment. Look at verse 19 and 20. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this matter, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. Joseph stood by his convictions, and look what happens to him. He is not lauded. He is not given a higher position. He is misunderstood. He is wrongly accused. He is thrown into prison. He has lost everything. And that, my friends, is the consequences of standing for your convictions. You may lose everything. Are you counting the cost? Will you do it? What is your conviction? What is your integrity? What is your character worth? If a man neglects to return 50 pesos too much in his change, he has just sold his integrity for 50 pesos. 
you and I have to ask ourselves, how much is our conviction worth? How much is our character worth? Is it worth the inconvenience of never having a woman alone with you in the car when you're driving by yourself? That's not your wife or your husband. Is it worth paying the price of your spouse's airplane ticket so that she can be with you or he can be with you on a business trip to avoid temptations? Is it worth people thinking you of a prude, thinking of you as someone who is dumb, someone not with the times? Are you okay when someone tells you, don't you trust me? You answer them, I may trust you, but I don't trust myself. What is your integrity worth to you? What is your character worth? You see, once you sell it, you cannot buy it back. Once you sell your integrity, you cannot buy it back. Once you commit and are in an adulterous relationship, you can never tell your wife again, I have been faithful to my vows. When you have done something unethical, you can never tell your children, I have never done anything unethical. If you have ever cheated, you can never stand at the award podium and receive that award and say, I have earned this. You see, once you sell out, you cannot buy back. Yes, I know there is restoration. And praise God for the forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But that's not the emphasis here this morning. Those all are true, and God gives us another chance to live for Him again. But do you count the cost of the consequences of convictions? You will never live out a godly life. You will never live out a godly character if you do not count the cost of the consequences of conviction. You will never live out a godly character if you do not count the cost of the consequences of convictions. Joseph had it all. He was well-liked. He was successful. He had a great job. He was good-looking. Because of godly convictions, he got the raw end of the deal. You know, I often wonder what Joseph must have felt. As I read this passage, I, I just want to scream out, Oh, if only they had security cameras back in those days. Could Potiphar not see this man whom he so trusted would do something like this? It was a he said, she said. And I wonder how he must have felt as he was thrown into prison. God, after all I've done for you, I've lost everything. I've been faithful I've held true, and this is what I have. That is the consequence when we look through life without filters. This is how life is. Will you stand firm for your convictions? But you know, God knows what he's doing. Because of all the prisons that Joseph could have been thrown in, he was thrown in to the very prison where Pharaoh 
kept his prisoners. And in verse 21 to 23, we see the second consequence of convictions. Verse 21, 23. But, great word of contrast, regardless of everything that had happened, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did there, it was in his doing. I have never heard in my life for a prisoner guards other prisoners. But that was the case here. Maybe the warden was lazy, I don't know. But he so trusted Joseph that he was a prisoner guarding other prisoners. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And note this, whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. I'd like you to circle two words there again. Favor, prosper. You see, when we make a choice to live out the convictions for Jesus Christ, there is another consequence. And that is the consequence of finding favor in the eyes of God. You see, sometimes we think that consequences are only negative. But consequences can also be positive. Yes, we may lose everything. But we will gain the favor of the eyes of God. And when God's favor is upon you, He will be no one's debtor. Everything that Joseph lost, he got back again. He got back his likability. He got back the success. He became the head prisoner. Now you may say, well, I don't want to be a slave and I don't want to be a prisoner. Regardless of the circumstances, Joseph made it on top in each of his quote-unquote career choices. You have a choice today, my friends. The choice of being well-liked and successful or the choice of allowing God to work it out in your life as long as you follow out your convictions in him. Count the cost. What are you living for? Are you willing to lose everything and gain the favor of God or keep everything that you have and not have his favor? The great novelist Rudyard Kipling, who wrote The Jungle Book, he once gave a commencement address at McGill University in Montreal. There to the graduates, he said, he warned them about making money, position, or glory their life achievement. And he told the graduates, someday you will meet a man who cares for none of these things. Then you will know how truly poor you are. Someday you will meet a man who cares not for money, position, and glory. Glory. 
then you who try to achieve these things will really understand just how poor you are. When I read that, I immediately thought about Joseph. Joseph cared not for those things. And so when we compare our lives to his, we realize just how poor we are. And yet comparing a life to a slave and a prisoner. Because Joseph understood that when you sell out to God, you cannot be bought. When we are sold out to God, when you've given him our lives, our life is not for sale. Or it shouldn't be. Any sale of our life now, when our life has been bought, is adultery. Spiritual adultery, living in unfaithfulness to the one we've sold out to. Can you live a life of conviction, consequences and all, saying to the world, I am sold out to Jesus. I cannot be bought. You see, we will celebrate communion a bit later. Communion reminds us of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He did not crave success nor of fame and likability. He could have had it all. But he who knew no sin became sin for us. He knew the consequences of the conviction of following the Father's will. And because he chose to do what was right, he died so that we can live. He died so that we can have salvation and life eternal. Jesus bought us with his blood. He bought your life and he bought my life. And because he has purchased us, we are not for sale. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you again, reminded even of myself how the lore of the world calls us to adulterate ourselves from a relationship with you to a world who's done nothing for us. I pray that you would forgive me, forgive us. If we have sought friends and success and likability more than the convictions of how you want us to live our life for you. May the shed blood of Jesus Christ forgive us, restore us. May the sign not for sale be so imprinted upon our life that like Joseph of old, we would spur all those who would hearken us to it. Thank you, Lord, for dying for us, for purchasing us from the miry pits of hell. And because you have purchased us, we are yours. And our life, our integrity, our character, our conviction is not for sale. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.